Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face to face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't watch Heart of the Matter through television, have them go to www.hotm.tv. They can watch live streaming video from anywhere in the world while they're at hotm.tv. They can also go to our archives. Over 170 uh, hour-long live shows there that they can uh, record it, that they can watch at any time. I was a born-again Mormon. We are on back order getting those hard copies out to the stores. Some are available now at utlm.org, uh, uh, New Life um, Bookstore in, in Layton. However, we've made a decision recently that I'm kind of excited about. Uh, we've made the manuscript available, completely available uh, online and downloadable through PDF. So you can go to hotm.tv and you can have the book in your hands uh, within minutes. Uh, if you prefer a bound copy, wait a few weeks and we'll have them available. Uh, we're proud of the fact that we have given uh, probably, I don't know, seven or 8,000 of those books away for free for people who want it. The PDF availability will enable us to continue to do this without as much cost on our part for mailing and the hard uh, binding copies that we were doing. Hey, if uh, you are interested, join us for our second annual open water baptism held in Logan Winds Saturday, July 11th, 1 p.m. Saturday, July 11th, 1 p.m. where? Rendezvous Park just outside Logan. Anyone and everyone is uh, welcome except assassins. Come uh, if you're being baptized or if you just want to watch people be baptized and support those who are going to um, publicly uh, uh, announce themselves as taking uh, on Jesus' name and walking with him as their sovereign Lord and King. How do you get there? Go online at hotm.tv for directions or get a pen and paper right now and I'm gonna give you directions, and it's really easy. If you're south of Brigham City, you take the I-15 up to exit 362. That's the only Logan-Brigham City exit there is, exit 362. You make a right, and you head toward the mountains. On that very road, you just take it all the way through Sardine Canyon. You'll come into Cache Valley. You're going to go through one stoplight, a second stoplight. And before you get to the railroad tracks, look to your left, and you're going to see some balloons. Rendezvous Park right there. And we're going to have the open water baptism at 1 p.m. Bring a towel if you're going to be baptized, change of clothes. And then 
stay there and we're going to, we'll worship and we'll do some things and then we're going to get directions at a clandestine spot of where a party will be held uh, with food. You'll have food and, uh, and a great time for fellowship and fun. Please join us our summer open water baptism in a beautiful river spot. Then mark your calendars, my friends, for Burning Heart 09, the Big Tent Revival. We're bringing in a huge stake tent like they had revivals in, in addition to everything else that we do. Bands like Adams Road will be there from Florida. They've been guests on our show before. Box lunches from Subway, cotton candy, popcorn, those big slides inflatable for kids to play on. Saturday, September 5th, 2009, Sugar House Park from 5 to 8 p.m. Everybody but assassins are invited. I don't know why I have to keep saying that. Uh, We're going to worship. We'll gather, meet and greet, say goodbye to summer, say hello to fall. It's a great time. Uh, The Big Tent Revival, Burning Heart 09, Sugar House Park, September 5th. Write that one down. A few weeks ago, We had an LDS caller named Jackie call and complain that I had never actually telephoned Thomas Monson and invited him to be on the program. So I told her I would, and in doing so, uh, I was instructed to go through a bunch of different departments. And finally, I was told, you have to go to the PR department of the church. And I was specifically told to speak to one Lyman um, Kirkland. And uh, I left several messages for Lyman, and he was out on vacation. He finally got back to me. I've been doing this program for well over three years, and we could have called and made this telephone invitation at any time. But an LDS member said, this is what you need to do. You know, you need to call church headquarters and make this invitation. She was certain that they would just, wow, of course, we'll come on and do it. So Lyman called me back, and it was... It was very nice. He was a very nice man, extremely polite. And uh, he said, and and he also left me a message that said essentially the same thing. Uh, He said, hi, Sean, this is Lyman Kirtland. Frankly, we're not interested in being on your show. It's very kind of you to offer, but we just are not interested. That's exactly what he said both to me personally, and then I went back and listened to a message that he had left me. Now, I appreciate the fact that Lyman called me back. Uh, He didn't have to do that. He was very courteous. But why do you suppose that the brethren, all of them, hundreds of them, who could be official representatives of the LDS Church, are not interested in being on this program? Well, let me give you three reasons why I think. First of all, why would they? They are a multi-billion dollar religious corporation, and we are a struggling television ministry Why on earth would they ever take the time to come in here and present their doctrines? It would be like a multinational slaughterhouse accepting an invitation to be on a program that's hosted by PETA. They just don't do it. They don't care. We are nothing to them. They're bringing in millions and millions and millions of dollars a week. We are uh, nothing to them. So that's one reason. Another thing is if they came on there would be nothing they could say. You see, because facts are facts, and history is history, doctrine is doctrine, and they know it. Now, if they had the chance to go onto a program of somebody who was maybe more known uh, and out there, but maybe like Mike Wallace, or on 60 Minutes or something, and the person interviewing them was gave them a chance to voice everything they wanted to say and take a few tough questions, but really get their message across. They'd do it. But why would they 
come on here just to be embarrassed, really, frankly. Um, it wouldn't be a debate. I'm not a debater, uh, but it would be a confession. We would extract a confession from them on their doctrine, and they know it. They spend tens of millions of dollars a year uh, and w to try to show that they are Christian and paint a picture of being true Christians and yet a show like this would do nothing but harm them in that respect. So they realize that. That's another reason. And finally, uh, they will say, we are not into uh, tearing things down, Sean. We're into building. We want to build and not tear things down. But let me give you a better definition of what they want to do. In a program like this or a big multinational, uh, international program, they want to manipulate. If they're put in a position where they can manipulate the information to their advantage, they'll accept the invitation. If they're faced with an invitation to be on something that's going to confront them and not let them go the easy path, they'll reject it. It's their prerogative. Um, why, would they, uh, why would they do it? Um, they know better, and so they have declined. Now, I want you, if you're LDS, to ask, why won't they do it? Why won't they come on? This, these are hardball questions we've thrown out for years now, questions that we want to know. If you believe you're saved by grace, which your missionaries are telling now, why, uh, why won't you come and defend this position, President Monson? Why won't one of the members of the 12 come and tell us this, President Monson? They won't. And now those are some of the reasons why. Okay, listen, Aletheia Ministries, we stand behind the right of all Christian ministries to reach out uh, to the LDS as they are led of the Lord. That's why we don't make very much commentary on other ministries and their methods. Some of them we don't really appreciate, like the screaming preachers at, at General Conference. We don't really like them, but if they feel the Lord's leading them well, we let them go off and do it. Maybe they reach some people. But in addition to utlm.org and other ministries like Living Hope Ministries, which we find very excellent, there's another ministry method that I want to introduce you to. And it's, I'm simply going to call it the uh, transitions. And I have with me tonight the president of transitions, Ken Mulholland, formerly of the Salt Lake Theological Seminary. Great to have you here. Welcome, Vilkoman. Brother Ken, how are you? Good to be with you, brother. Good to see you. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are. Sure. Uh, I have really uh, had a strong call in my life to, to be a minister and, and, I, and a witness to LDS people in this state. When I first came here back in the uh, uh, late 1970s, I had a, a real zeal to, to attack and to argue. And it didn't take me very long to realize that that only is going to take you so far. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that uh, happened in my life as we began moving to the 2002 Winter Olympics, the evangelicals of uh, Salt Lake City asked uh, me at that time, president of Salt Lake Theological Seminary, if uh, we would put together a, uh, an evangelism training tool that would prepare people who are coming to Salt Lake City to be able to share with LDS people in a way that was culturally sensitive and uh, also uh, where the gospel made sense to Mormons. Mm. And so we developed a program called Bridges, and I'm very uh, proud of the way that that has played out over the years. There have probably been at least 25,000 uh, Christians who've gone through the Bridges training wow. to make them sensitive, uh, but yet bold in their witness to Latter-day Saints. So a big part of my life has been wrapped up with starting Salt Lake Theological Seminary, but also some of these projects like Bridges and other things that have helped to uh, 
just your average Christian to be able to share their faith with LDS people. Okay, so Christians, uh, I mean, uh, Bridges was kind of geared toward uh, evangelical outreach, training Christians right. how to respond. That's What's correct. transitions? Now, tra as, as you just said, Bridges was aimed at a Christian audience. Okay. Transitions takes the next step. It is a culturally sensitive evangelism tool to be placed into the hands of LDS people. Hmm. Sean, you know better than I do because of your background, but there are thousands and thousands and thousands of LDS people who are leaving the LDS church every year on their own. They're deciding this is not true, it's not satisfying, I'm not happy, somehow I'm not connecting with the Lord here in the way that I think that I should. So the question is, where do they go? Well, it's like a subway in New York. You know, if, you're, if Mormonism is the station you're at and you're leaving, the next stop might be agnosticism. Mm. I think that's the biggest stop for many of the people who are leaving Mormonism. Mm -hmm. Atheism for some, mm -hmm. New Age spirituality for others. Mm -hmm. But many of them really want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ but have been frustrated in the LDS Church. Mm. Transitions is saying to those people who've already decided we're leaving Mormonism mm. but we want a relationship with Jesus. Mm. Uh, this is something where they can the gospel is presented in a way that makes sense to them, that speaks the language of Mormonism. Mm. Now, you brought something along with you, which I think is going to be helpful for our audience. That's right. It's a, it's a four-minute um, teaser of teaser. what Transitions exactly. is going to be about. Right. Now, uh, just to let you know, before we watch the teaser, teaser Transitions is going to be, uh, what you've planned it now, a four-part video it's series? It's actually a seven-part. It'll be uh, uh, the first three parts have to do with uh, helping people to realize they're not alone, that there are a lot of people going through the struggles and difficulty that they're having. Which is so important. It's incredibly important. The, the next three, uh, the, uh, four, five, and six really address the issues the LDS Church uh, missionaries ask. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Biblically speaking, you answer But that. these are biblical answers awesome. to those LDS questions. And the final section will be some long discussions by... Uh, some fairly uh, knowledgeable Christians on some of the doctrinal issues that LDS people struggle with. Fantastic. Let's take a look at that video. Uh, transitions. I found the metaphor of immigration to be helpful in describing the journey of someone out of a Latter-day Saint experience into um, a traditional Christian experience, evangelical experience partly because it helps to capture um, all the dynamics that are taking place in that person's life. One of the fondest memories that I have growing up LDS was just the friendships that we had. My family was very active in the church and it was, um, growing up it was a lifestyle. I loved being LDS. It was the core of my existence. I loved to attend the temple, felt a real peace there. Joseph Smith was a huge hero of mine. Basically, I didn't really understand who Jesus was. I knew that there was this distant thing that he was a savior. I didn't feel the freedom to ask questions or to, to, to doubt. The only God I understood or even knew about was the God of the Mormon church. And so I wanted to get as far away from that as possible. The tipping point was desperation. There were no rites, rituals, actions, temple attendances, obediences, service, prayers, fasting. Nothing gave me solace. Nothing gave me peace in my heart, and I was in turmoil. You see 
the missionaries and you think, wow, you know, they're amazing and that's the way people view you. I started to really struggle with not feeling like I, like I measured up and even though I was trying my hardest. It seemed like you go to church and you find out all the reasons you're going to go to hell and if you're not going to hell for this or that, you're going to hell for, for what you're missing out on. I didn't feel I wanted to be a part of it, but yet I still felt believed in the doctrine, believed in, I never lost my faith in God. So it was actually a state of turmoil and despair that led me to uh, totally throw everything I knew to the wind and say, God, show me. Give me some truth that I can stand on, that I can sink my teeth into and not let go. Because a person's coming out of a homeland, they've made a decision to pursue something else. They're not going to go back to their homeland, but, but they still bring so much of that with them. They still bring with them a whole, uh, a, a whole worldview, a whole set of cultural norms and expectations. If an immigrant settling into a new land doesn't have to repudiate all of that, but they're going to have to learn how things work in this new, in this new home that they've come to live in. And that's the, that's the experience of Latter-day Saints transitioning into traditional Christian churches. Other Christians are not aware of how wounded and confused. Um, I mean, it's not just the spiritual element. You're dealing with family. You're dealing with culture. You're dealing with uh, being treated differently now. I guess that's, yeah, personally, that's a concern I have is I don't want to be seen as a traitor to the cause. But I know in my heart that, that God has me and my family where he wants us. And we're doing the things he wants us to be doing. It's very lonely and it's very scary. And I think as, as people who, who truly know Christ, believers, we need to, be, to realize the courage that it takes someone um, who, is, who is involved in the LDS Church to ask those questions, to come up to us. We, are a safe, we must be a safe person and that takes tremendous courage that I don't know that we can really understand. Good stuff, huh? And you, you know what really uh, I was impressed with? Is how, what handsome people you got to I know, I that. know. And, and there's a sort of a special spark with one of those. I don't know. I, I don't that know. shaved head guy with the Yeah, that's team. right. Awesome. That's right. Yeah, yeah he's special. He's... So what's going to happen? What is your hope for transitions now? We get it out, and what, what's your hope that will happen? Well, we're not quite done producing it yet. We're still okay. trying to raise the money to do that, to complete the project. Uh, but once we get this done, what we want to do is to use, to make this available to Christian people, to give to their LDS friends, uh, just to view privately, but people can also use it in their homes. Uh, also for churches, it might have some low-key things to say, look, we're having something for LDS inquirers, mm. and we're not going to put a lot of pressure on you, but we want you to come and be a part of a, a group to look at this. And frankly, we're hoping this is going to go viral, that we're going to make this available through mm -hmm. internet connections and things like this. I believe it could have an enormous impact mm -hmm. because there are so many people who are looking for a relationship with Jesus Christ that are not satisfied with the way that they're finding Jesus presented in the LDS church. Amen. Ken, uh, why don't, I'm going to redirect you over to Michael's camera, camera one. Why don't you tell the audience what they can do, what your needs are right now, and that what, uh, what you hope for? 
What we're looking for is supporters, Christian people. We're not looking for Latter-day Saints to give to this. We're asking for believing Christians, born-again Christians, to contribute to help us with this project. And I believe through the website, that uh, through your website, that there would be a connection well, uh, link uh, to ours, which would show you uh, basically step-by-step step how you might do that, and also give you a 14-minute version of what we just saw for four minutes, to have a better flavor for what it is we're going to be doing. The presentation we're making here is one in which we're not attacking Mormonism. We're assuming that the people who are viewing this have already decided that's not the answer. But what they are wanting is an answer. What does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? If you're concerned about that and you believe that this is a right presentation, I encourage you to go to our website and to take a look at the rest of this DVD trailer and uh, help us if, if God leads you to. Ken. God bless you, my brother. Great Thank to see you. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for coming on. And with that, uh, let's have a prayer. Lord, we, uh, we lift up the rest of this program to you. We thank you for uh, what you do. We pray for your blessings upon our staff, volunteers, operators, the audience, uh, wherever they may be. We pray for the technical difficulties to go away and that we will be able to deliver what you want. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Two uh, more shows, two, I promise you, on Mountain Meadows. Uh, tonight on the conviction of scape scapegoat John D. Lee. And next week, the LDS response to the whole thing, including President Hinckley's speech and a final summary. There were a number of faithful LDS men involved, leaders in the Mormon Mountain Meadow Massacre, including John D. Lee and Dane and Haight and Higby and Klingensmith and Stewart. But it was well known that above them all, John D. Lee would be the best candidate to take one for the team. John D. Lee was the adopted son of Brigham Young and went deep in his devotion to both Young and Mormonism. When all the cards hit the table, the Lees, the Lee family, were convinced, writes Bagley, the author of the book, uh, what book did he write? Mountain Meadows Massacre, that Brigham Young, quote, selected John D. Lee as the goat because he was well aware that Lee would never refuse to do anything he was called on to do in the name of the church. Brigham needed a place to blame and somebody to blame, and Lee was told over and over again by leading Mormon authorities that he, if he would, quote, just stay quiet and remain faithful, he would escape the whole ordeal unharmed. Lee believed those reassurances and kept his mouth shut and his allegiances to the uh, church intact. Fourteen years after the actual incident at the Meadows, the Twelve Apostles excommunicated three of the participants. Stake President Isaac Haight, John D. Lee, and George Wood for committing a great sin, end quote. Bagley writes that John Lee was confident that Brigham Young had allowed him to be cut off from the church for a wise purpose and not because it was malicious intent, meaning it was a strategy. What Lee didn't realize was that his own adoptive father was setting him up for a major betrayal, that a betrayal that would be cause the end of his life.
Because of greater federal pressure and the, to get to the bottom line of the Mountain Meadows Massacre and the Mormon Church's desire to end the whole ugly affair, it had been an enormous burr in Brigham Young's saddle and it was just so tiring, the pressure to fix it. Something needed to be done and someone had to take the fall. In typical Brigham Young fashion, he denounced the murderers publicly. He would say how horrible they were while at the same time privately reassuring them uh, who were involved uh, privacy and security and safety. Lee followed the prophet hook, line, and sinker. As Young schemed to set Lee up, his past was beginning to catch up with him. Attorney William Hickman, who's also known as Wild Bill Hickman, you may have heard of him, whom Young once recommended for a federal judicial post, turned on Brigham Young by writing a book called Brigham's Destroying Angel and not only admitted in lurid detail statements about his crimes of great bloodshed, but he also implicated Brigham Young as an accomplice in many of them. Then Young's multiple wife, Ann Eliza Webb, sued him for divorce and demanded $1,000 a month in alimony. She wrote, Wife Number 19 or The Story of a Life in Bondage, which ridiculed and embarrassed Brigham Young. The added pressure of the Mountain Meadows Massacre needing to be solved was enough to uh, crack the uh, resolute leader, and Young struck a deal. Every federal prosecutor, even slightly familiar with the Mountain Meadows case, had a great suspicion that Young somehow had his hand in it, but attempts to connect him uh, had been countered by an impenetrable wall of silence and denial. With Young and Mormonism cracking and the country crying for justice, the wheels of political compromise began turning and the need and identity for a reliable scapegoat was a no-brainer. John D. Lee was the guy. Prior to Lee being arrested and he was found hiding in a chicken coop, a prop proper receptacle, uh, Brigham Young was warned of his impending capture by the officers and was offered horses and riders who could race to John D. Lee's location and rescue him from the law. Young thought deeply for a moment, his hand in his face, Bagley writes, and, and said, quote, the time will come when they will try John D. Lee and not the Mormon church, and that is all we have ever wanted. Go to bed and sleep for everything is all right. Lee was arrested along with William Dame, and two trials were held. The first, Mormonism and Brigham Young did everything possible to clam up and protect those who were arrested. Young even bankrolled their defense. When Lee was in custody, he was visited by Apostles Smith, Orson Hyde, Erastus Snow, and other church leaders, and Lee recorded, quote, They all told me to stand to my integrity, and all would come out all right in the end, end quote. Brigham Young visited Rachel Lee, one of John D.'s many wives, on his annual visit to the South, and said, quote, Tell Brother John to stand to his integrity to the end, and not a hair of his head shall be harmed. Lee believed his leaders. Bagley writes, Lee's motives for protecting Young were complex, but they were not selfless. His daughter claimed that after the first trial, Daniel Wells came to Beaver to find a scapegoat. Wells went to Dame, William Dame, and told him it was better for one man to suffer than the whole church. Dame would have none of it and told Wells, quote, My life is as sweet to me as yours is to yours. You get me out of here, meaning jail, or I'll put the saddle on the right horse. 
Wells took the problem to Lee about staying low and letting the bedbugs pack him out of the prison. Lee replied, I always said I would stand between the cannon and Brigham Young before I will turn traitor to my people. Lee's daughter, Miriam Lee Cornelius, recalled, quote, he promised that if anyone had to be tried for the, Mormon, uh, for the Mountain Meadow trouble, he would do it. Lee could not believe that the church would desert him. Quote, I had every confidence that Brigham Young would save me at last. He said, I had his solemn word that I would not suffer. A man named Sumner Howard came to Michigan and became the U.S. attorney for the Utah Territory in April of 1876. And long story short, he struck up a deal with Brigham Young and the church as the prosecutor. Howard would agree to impanel a Mormon jury and place affidavits that Brigham Young and Apostle uh, Smith had written into evidence and exonerate Mormon authorities of complicity in the murders if Young would deliver witnesses and documents that would guarantee the conviction of Lee. And any and all other indictments against LDS men held prisoner for the massacre would be dropped as these guys were threatening to turn state's evidence against Young. Needless to say, a second trial of Lee was nothing like the first, and Lee began to see his entire tribe that had once stood by him turn on him one by one as he stood there on the stand. But Lee held out that his adoptive father would never betray him and let him die. In his opening statements, prosecuting attorney Howard made it clear that he had not come to try Brigham Young or the LDS Church, but to prosecute John D. Lee for his crimes. Again, however, as the trial progressed on, Lee was certain, in spite of all the evidence being brought forth to him that he was being betrayed, that the Mormon leaders would in the end come and save him. Bagley writes, quote, He only slowly realized that, quote, those low, deceitful, treacherous, cowardly, dastardly, sycophants and serfs had combined to fasten a rope around his neck. And they named a university after one of the biggest of them all. Bagley adds, quote, While not a single faithful Mormon appeared for the prosecution at the first trial, enough testified at the second to make up a respectable congregation. By the time the prosecution rested, Lee knew he had been deceived. I wonder what John D. Lee would say today to the claim that you can never go wrong placing your trust in the prophets and apostles of the Mormon church. On September 20th, after three hours of deliberation, the jury convicted Lee of first-degree murder. His attorney said, in the first trial, Mormonism prevented conviction, and in the second trial, Mormonism ensured conviction. Whatever benefits Mormonism, right? Anything that will make sure that the church is clean and safe. Don't you just love those institutions and the men who run them, right? All heart, all selfless, all full of value, eh? Well... On the jury was a guy named Andrew Corey, and he said, Someone had to be sacrificed, so last of all, I gave in. Then he quoted from Joseph Smith's Book of Mormon, Better for one man to die than for a whole nation to dwindle in unbelief. Even though Lee was troubled by the backhanded betrayal, he still held out that somehow he would be saved in the end. 
Quote, I have many a warm-hearted, noble-minded friend whom I believe will never see me sacrifice at the shrine of imposition, bigotry, and falsehood and ignorance, he said. My firm conviction is that all will come all right in the end. So much for firm convictions and testimonies of modern prophets and the idea that there's safety in following them. Lee was sentenced to die by one Judge Borman on October 10th, 1876. He had the choice to be hanged, shot, or beheaded, which was the preferential method for blood atonement. As a means to claim he was innocent, Lee chose, instead of beheading, to be shot. Knowing a grand cover-up when he saw one, the judge of the case, Borman, at the sentencing said, high LDS church authorities had inaugurated and decided upon the wholesale slaughter of the immigrants, and that from the time the crime took place, there had been, quote, a persistent and determined opposition to an investigation of the massacre. In light of the single conviction of Lee for the whole Mormon Mountain Meadows massacre, Bagley remarks that nobody ever seemed to ask how one man could individually kill over 120 people and why so much evidence was withheld by Mormons in the first trial and then allowed as evidence in the second. On the afternoon of March 21st, 1877, Lee was loaded into an enclosed uh, carriage and driven south to Mountain Meadows. On the morning of March 23rd, three wagons formed a semicircle 100 yards east of where the one-time rock memorial stood before Brigham Young raised his arm to the square and had it destroyed. A reporter from the San Francisco Bulletin described the scene as, quote, weird and strange beyond description. About 75 Utahns gathered at the site in spite of efforts to keep the whole thing secret. Lee spent the time in transit to his destiny with death with a Methodist minister named George Stokes, who said Lee admitted to killing five people. Lee showed no emotion. He showed no remorse. He made out his last will and split his property between three remaining wives. He passed around a bottle of bitters and took the last drink. As Marshal Nelson read Lee the death warrant and asked him if he had any last words, a gathering of still unidentified men spread out secretly behind the three wagons with their rifles. Lee wanted the privilege to keep his hat on while he was being... Uh, uh, killed and so that caused everybody in the audience or who were watching to take their hats off. He requested that his three wives receive a copy of his recent, uh, recent photograph that was taken of him and the prosecuting attorney Sumner said that that would happen and then Lee spoke his final statement. He stood and looked around calmly, says Bagley, and said, quote, I feel resigned to my fate, he told the crowd. I feel as calm as a summer morn, and I have done nothing intentionally wrong. My conscience is clear before God and man. I am ready to meet my Redeemer. He faltered brief briefly when he spoke of parting with his family. Many of them are unprotected and will be left fatherless. I wonder if he thought about that, about all those that were killed. He again claimed that he had, he, that he had tried to save the Arkansans. I would have given worlds if they were at my command, if I could have averted the calamity, but I could not do it. It went on, he said. Death held no terror to him. Quote, I shall never go to a worse place than I am now in. Lee bitterly denounced Brigham Young's betrayal, saying, I studied to make this man's will my pleasure for 30 years. See now what I have come to this day. I have been sacrificed in a cowardly, dastardly manner. 
Young was leading his people astray, Leeds said, but he remained a true believer in the gospel that was taught in the purity of Joseph Smith in the former days. He says, I have my reasons for it. When Lee finished, Pastor Stokes kneeled beside him and offered a fervent prayer. Then he was blindfolded, and requ but requested that his hands remain untied. He sat on the edge of his pine coffin, his arms raised, and he shouted, Sinner my heart, boys, meaning aim right at my heart. The newspaper said he uttered something else against Brigham Young, but witnesses said this didn't happen. And at exactly at 11 a.m., the order was given, ready, aim, fire, and John D. Lee fell quietly into his coffin, a scapegoat for the entirety of the Mormon Mountain Meadows Massacre. Reporters said that his feet remained resting on the ground, and unlike his victims, he died without a struggle. Like the Mormon church before and after him, John D. Lee never apologized for his part in the Mormon Mountain Meadows Massacre, nor did he ever beg for forgiveness. To the bitter end, he was convinced he had done nothing wrong. I wonder what his opinion is today. Next week, we'll continue the follow-up events of Lee's execution and the present-day LDS response to the event. It's going to be a summary that you don't want to miss. It's uh, pretty insightful. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Uh, please have a question ready. The operators can't spend time speaking with you in depth and turn down your TV sets. First time callers, please. LDS callers preferred. And let's go to a quick break so our operators can clear it up and then we'll come back and take your calls. Raytheon Ministry, producer of Heart of the Matter. We exist solely on the support of those who are... <laughs> well, hello. <laughs> We've had a minor technical... That's me too. Support and prayers are greatly appreciated, but Heart of the Matter Partners, or HOTM Partners, has been carefully designed to supply support for Aletheia Ministries' long-term sustainability without burdening individuals too much. On your screen is an address. You can write to partners there, ask information, whatever you want to do, we'll send you a brochure. Also, if you're interested, you can check us out at www.hotm.tv. Additionally, you can call us, 1-888-868-4686. All prayers, all support are appreciated. God bless you. See you Tuesdays. Welcome back. We're going to Sharma in West Valley City. First time caller. Sharma, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, hi, Sean. Hi, Sharma. I like your hair tonight. Well, thank you. <laughs> I bet I like yours, too, if I saw it. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> hey, um... I have a question for you. I I came out of Mormonism about 17 years ago, mm -hmm. praise the Lord. And um, I was talking to my sister today. My brother came out of Mormonism too, but I have a sister and then my parents, or they're still in Mormonism. And the, and the question I have for my sister is that has she been taught in her church that Jesus and Satan are brothers? And she says she's never heard of it. Can you tell me where I can get some information uh, for her to show that she um, that the Mormon Church teaches that? Well, the first thing I do is uh, you can go tell her to go to the Doctrine. I mean, uh, the Pearl of Great Price, and you can read in the Book of Abraham about intelligences being formed. But you're going to have to go uh, utlm.org 
and just type in uh, Lucifer and Jesus Brothers, and it will give you a printout of every reference possible. And all you got to do is drop that in the mail to your sister, and she will have enough proof to show that the LDS Church at one time really uh, uh, info or, uh, emphasized that. But they don't so much do that anymore. They don't talk too much about it. They don't rescind it. They don't say it's not true anymore, but they just don't talk about that too much. Okay, so, Sean, also, would you have people pray for her and my family? They, uh, I know they're so close. What's her first name? Her name's Lori, and my mom's name's Lila, and my dad's name's Larry. Uh, I, that's tough to remember, just kidding. <laughs> and how did you get Sharma? <laughs> Don't squeeze the Charmin without the N, you know. I asked. <laughs> All right, God bless you, Sharma. Oh, God bless you, too. I love your show. I just got, uh, uh, somebody told me about it the other day, and I just love it. So. Thanks so much. God bless you, and I'll be praying for you. Okay, Sharma, bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Dan in Salt Lake City, first-time caller. Dan, you're on Heart of the Matter. Well, thanks for having me, Sean. God bless you. Appreciate the work you're doing in your ministry. Thanks, Dan. Uh, listen, you uh, finally got me to call. I've been watching you for many months and have grown to really uh, pray for you and uh, uh, back you. But anyway, uh, the thing that I like about you, and this is leading up to something, is when you take callers, you seem to be really sensitive to them, whether they're Mormon or, or whatever. I, I like that you're easy and sensitive to people, okay? And that's important to me. Now, when I do what I do, I try to be sensitive to people very much. And the reason I'm calling tonight is because I'm one of those screaming street preachers that you mentioned tonight. <laughs> did you say and screaming? Want... Pardon me? Did you say screaming? Uh, you did, one of those screaming oh. street preachers. <laughs> oh. No, but are you a sc actually a screamer? Ah. Uh, yeah, well, you I'm are. loud, but I do that for a reason. I do that because the things I say do get people to stop. When they stop, then I can take time and be mild and talk about whatever they want to. But, well, I understand but the, that. But the point that I want to make is this, and I'm glad you said that God uses different ministries, and, and uh, is that, yes, we have had fruit. There's all kind of different Mormon people, just like there's all kind of different... Christian ministries and, and personalities that, that can reach them. Uh -huh. And we have had fruit. I wanted you to know that. I, I agree with you. I think some people have a, a legitimate cause to be concerned, because it's not my intention to ever appear hateful, but right. sometimes it does. Right. But we don't mean that. But I do want you to know for sure that there is fruit born. I won't take time to go into it. I hope to meet you sometime. Actually, I have before, but maybe, maybe later down the road we can do that. But I did want to say on the air that, yes, the street preachers, as well as the different other ministries, do have their fruit, too. All right, Dan. And, uh, hey, one question. Just one. Yes, sir. Uh, and I'm just going to pass this along, and I want to get your Im impression of this tactic. And you tell me if you agree with this. Okay. There was somebody standing outside General Conference after Gordon B. Hinckley's wife passed away. And on the megaphone, they were saying, Hey, everybody, I got a message from Sister Hinckley. You want to hear it? Ah! 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 meaning I'm burning in hell. Now, as a street preacher, would you agree with that? Uh, I don't know who was doing that. No, forget I, who I, it I was. No, I would say no. I, I couldn't use that myself. Yeah. So uh, th those that, are the that, ones I'm kind of talking about. It, it's, 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 I don't like being... I am aggressive, and I don't pull any punches. Yeah. But I don't like being aggressively 
insensitive to people. Right. Uh, the idea is to get them to want to stop and talk, not right. to push them away in anger or frustration. Right. Uh, I, I'm not for that. No, yeah. I, from what you said, I, I would not. Good, good to hear, I Dan. don't like the sound of that. Good to hear, my brother. Take care. God bless you. God bless you, and thanks for having me. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to Reverend Larry from Ogden. Reverend Larry. Yes. How you doing? I'm blessing you. I'm doing well. You're on the air, Reverend. Yeah. What, how, hey, how, does one become, how does one become Reverend? What does that mean, anyway? I'm a preacher. Okay, preacher. Go ahead, man. Okay, look, uh, this is out of, this is basically what you're talking about tonight, but yet in a different way. Okay. God has called me out of Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 7. Okay. All right? And what God has told me, i got to speak the truth. Okay. All right? And out of, 33, uh, out of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20 to 25. Okay. God so loved the church. All right? If a man, if a man shall love the church, as he, as he, uh, he has to love his wife, as, he, as Jesus Christ will love the church, would he have to speak the truth? Okay. okay. Now, concerning the church. Reverend? Yes. You really got to get on it, man. I bet you're a great preacher, but this isn't the time to do it. Give me the point. Okay, the point is, if a man has to turn, the, turn someone in to the law, would he be bound by the law or bound by God? If a man had to turn somebody into the law, would he be would bound he be? by the law or bound by God? Again, yes. just tell me what your point is instead of questioning me. What do you want to say? The point is, if a man has to turn a, a woman in or a man in for child abuse, would it be feasible? Because God had to God had to deal with the LDS church the same way. Is, are you getting it, Ken? Yeah, I'm not getting it. I'm sorry, Reverend. Uh, reformulate it. Come back and give it to me another way. Right now, we're going to go to Diane. Uh, Diane, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes. Um, you know, I'd sure like your hairdo. You look really cute. Well, I'm just getting all kinds of calls. Last oh, week, I was right. called a beast. Well, you look cute all the other ways, too, but you sure look nice tonight. Well. <laughs> you You're... bet. You're wonderful, and I oh. thank you for being on television because there's so many of us that need to hear you. you you're telling it the way it is, a true way, let me tell you. Anyway, my question, I know we're in a hurry here, but my question is, I've been raised in the LDS Church all my life, and I was getting ready to go through the temple here a couple of months ago, and my parents were so happy because my youngest sister dropped out of the Mormon religion. Then my oldest sister dropped out of the Mormon religion, and my brother is still in the religion. He's a bishop now. Mm -hmm. And uh, my youngest sister scared me so bad. She said, Diane, it's so hard to get out of the Mormon religion due to the fact, she just says, they just about kill you. They just get, tell you some of the most scaring things, you know. Mm -hmm. And she says, you're going to have to go through this to get out of the Mormon religion. Mm -hmm. Well, I was reborn in 1983. Uh, as a Christian, and I wanted to ask you, 
am I reborn and uh, as a Christian, I prayed to my Heavenly Father, to Jesus. I prayed to Him and asked Him to come into my heart, mm -hmm. and I asked Him to forgive me for all my sins, and et cetera, you know, and told Him I wanted Him to be with me and always take care of me. Mm -hmm. And anyway, I felt a, like a big old cloud was lifted off my shoulders. Uh -huh. and my parents heard that I was going to Full Armor over here on Main Street in Salt Lake, and they had the gods, uh, that god uh, movie yeah. on, you know, god the gods uh, yeah. movie. That place was just full of Mormons, and they were getting up and leaving because they were so disgusted and everything. I'm sure a lot of people listening is aware of this movie they showed. Yeah. And anyway, what I wanted to ask you, in a loving way, now the other day my mother asked me, she says, Diane, you're in your 60s now, you're getting only older. I said, you don't need to remind me, Mother. And she says, you better hurry up and get your temple work done and get in there and get through there. And I says, Mom, and I just burst out in tears, and Dad was standing there, too. And I says, I've changed my mind. I'm not going to do it. Awesome. I says, I found out Joseph Smith is not a prophet. I said, the book of Mormon is nothing but a Mickey Mouse book. And I threw it away. They gave it to me, you know. Yeah. And I said, I'm not going in that temple. Well, I've heard too much about that, too. And, oh, what can I tell them? Well, I think, uh, Diane, I think that you, you've told them. What you told me right now is what you should tell them, that you've received the Lord Jesus Christ. Share that. And, and just with, with your heart say, you know, I asked him to take over my life and I'm born again because Diane, in my estimation, from what you've said you are, and you're a Christian with, with Christ living in you by virtue of the Holy Spirit, and you just gently and kindly express to your parents that you have Jesus in your life and you're standing completely on your faith and trust in him. And, and then with love, follow up with love and understanding with them and you set the example so to speak of what it means to be a Christian in your home and in time the Lord will work maybe on your mom maybe on your dad maybe on both of them but in time he will work as you show Jesus in your home I've been doing this I've been keep trying. going you're doing I've well I've been trying so hard but I had a hard life at home when I was young also you know I was mistreated and everything kicked around and I ran away from home you know at 15 I, it's well, just been terrible Diane hmm? your uh, calls meant a lot because there's a lot of people out there who listen to what you said they're in a similar circumstance but you stand on Jesus you stand on your relationship with him and 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 set that for other people we really appreciate your call my sister I want one of your books by the way stay how much are they stay on the line and we'll get an operator to pick up and they'll get your address and we'll send you one. Uh, Sean, let me say one thing. You're going to make it, sweetie, and you stay in there. And I'm going to try and contribute. Oh, you don't worry. You, just, you don't worry about it. You just take, stay on the line. We'll get you a book. God bless Thank you, Diane. Thank you very much. Bye. And I love you. Bye, bye. Love you, too. Uh, we're going to Miles in Lancaster, PA. That's where I serve my mission. Miles from Lancaster. What's happening? 
Hey, Sean, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Nice to talk to you. What's going on? Well, I had a question for you. Um, every now and then, and it's not as often as I'd like, but uh, whenever the more missionaries come visit me, um, I, I've studied Mormonism and studied you know, the archaeological problems of the Book of Mormon, but um, what, what I see now more is, is more that the Book of Mormon teaches a different gospel than what's taught in the Bible. Yeah. And I, I, I see the verse out of Second Nephi twenty-five twenty-three, for we labor diligently to write to, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is grace that we is that we are saved after all we can do. Yeah, um, and that goes against Ephesians two eight and nine and ten. Um, usually, I don't get a good response from that, but to me, that that's reason alone to reject the Book of Mormon because it teaches a false gospel. You know, the, uh, the apologetic core of Mormonism, the Farms Group, the Bob Millets, are restating that, and they're saying that that phrase in Second Nephi is saying that we are saved by grace after all that we try to do, we're saved by grace. That's how they're reading it now, not we're saved by grace after all that we do. It's after all that we try and, and do, we're still saved by grace. That's how they are defining that now. Never been that oh, before so, until now. So they're kind of putting a different spin on it. They all, that's a perfect way to put it, yeah, uh, Miles, spin. Okay. Yeah, so, but it's, good, it's a good one because you can then introduce other aspects of how they really don't believe that new spin because you can just bring in all the things that they say are necessary for exaltation. Right. You know? So you're doing good work, my brother. I serve my mission out there in Lancaster. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. You, you, how long ago was that? Uh, too long to remember, my brother. <laughs> okay, okay. God bless you. God bless you too, sir. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Hey, one quick point. Someone told me today, a good friend, he said, you know, Mormonism is like this. You take a, a tall glass uh, uh, container, and it's full of coffee, and that represents Mormonism. And you want to get that coffee out, but the only way you can do it is by putting water in. So you take crystal clear water and it starts going in and this coffee and the water start flowing over. Well, it takes a while for that coffee to all dilute and get out of that glass container. Some people it happens quickly, the hose comes in and just blows it out and some people it's a trickle and it just takes a long, long time. And so that's what we're dealing with when it comes. That's why we talk about transitions. That's why, we, that's why Sandra Tanner says, you know, it took a long time for her to come out. This is not a slam, then you're out. It doesn't work that way usually. The Lord can do it. So that's why we have to have kid gloves. I want to say one more thing before we go to Frank at Lake Point, and that is this. More and more, I'm meeting people who are born-again Christians, and they have been changed by Jesus who are still in the Mormon church. Now, you might say, they're not really Christian. You want to bet? You can talk to them. You listen to them. They are. But they're there because their spouses are there, their children are there, and they want to introduce Jesus to them while they're still together and bring them out with other people. And bring. This is how this thing can change from the grassroots, is as Mormons. So I'm all for abandoned ship. If you don't have the strength to stand there and you can't take the rhetoric, get out. But if the Lord leads you, you don't necessarily have to make that quick of a jump. And that ticks off some of the Christian apologists we know, but we'll keep going on that one. We like to make them mad anyway. Let's go to Frank at Lake Point. Frank, you're on Heart of the Matter. Frank? Frank is gone. Operators get more calls. Jack from Idaho asks, how could you speak against the church that obviously is inspired? Look at the LDS standards compared to the world today. 
The word of wisdom is evidence enough that Joseph Smith was a prophet. Well, if you go to our show on the word of wisdom, you'll see a few things. One, the word of wisdom movement, the health movement of that time was propagated by Kellogg and a bunch of other ones. And Joseph just being the great religious synthesizer, borrowed from everything that was going on, turned it into thus saith the Lord and gave the word of wisdom. Uh, but the more important thing is the cleanliness of a group and their ability to do things is not necessarily indicative of God being behind it. Remember the Third Reich. They were very clean. They had wonderful buildings. They almost took over the world, but it didn't make them right. In fact, when you open up the Bible and you read, it talks about that God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. You, would, you kind of are uh, postulating, Jack, that this, this powerful superstructure is evidence that God is behind it. And I would have to say that's just not biblical. Biblical, it seems the other way. You look at Jesus and the apostles he chose. Did he choose businessmen? Did he choose the best Sadducees and Pharisees? Or did he choose fishermen and publicans to be his disciples? The Lord's ways are not man's ways. Mormonism is built on man's ways. And so it is appealing to your flesh. And you think because we're clean living. You can find clean living groups all over the place doesn't make them true or right. We're going to Frank at Lake Point again with exclamation points. Frank, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes. You're hey. on the air, my brother. How's it going? Good. Uh, hey, uh, I'm just calling because that guy, Larry, yeah. uh, you asked Ken if he got any of that, what he was trying to say, and I think that I know what he was trying to say, and I just wanted to call and, and mention it. Okay. It, it sounded to me as if the man was trying to say that he possibly was responsible for turning someone in for child abuse and that maybe he wanted some comfort, you know, from you. I think that, he, you know, it sounds like he respects you and he call, he's, you know, looking for some help. He's got you on the show and he calls you in. He calls in and asks you, you know, can you give me a scripture that would justify what I did? Oh, words, I see. If I you hand someone over to the law, are you bound by the law of the Bible? What does the Bible say about it? Or are you bound by God? Because I think that he felt convicted of the Lord to do what he did. Oh. And he's looking for maybe a little comfort because he's being, you know, uh, yeah. feeling condemnation or guilt or, you know, good, something good, like that. Good insights uh, there, Frank. I couldn't, I couldn't pick up what he was saying, so I really appreciate you doing that. Let me, right. let me answer him off air. Yeah. Okay, my brother. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. And I would say that we uh, believe in, in, in obeying the law insofar as it does not offend the laws of God. And so if there's a child molester out there, that's the example you used, that is hurting children. Uh, and God, you know, I think that you would go and you would inform the authorities to protect the children. I mean, that's what you're going to do. Uh, so you have, might have some obligation as a pastor-congregate uh, relationship in, in terms of confidentiality. But if someone else could be harmed, I think that that supersedes that confidentiality agreement. Uh, we have Jennifer in West Jordan, uh, first-time caller. I'm going to see. Jennifer, is it a quick question? If not, you got to call back next week because you only have 25, 30 seconds. Yeah, that's pretty quick. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I was just, I was driving home from work, and I was listening to a Christian radio, Yeah. and if they had mentioned something about the end of days being May 21st of 2011, I was just wondering if that was something in the Mormon church, because no. I'm a Christian myself, I just never heard that before. No, it's baloney, don't believe it. 
Thanks so much, Jennifer. A really great call. Appreciate it. Sorry we have to end. Remember, you guys, if Mormonism is true, then the Bible is a lie. We hope to see you next week here on Heart of the Matter, where we're going to finish up finally with Mountain Meadows Massacre, a summary, and hear what Gordon B. Hinckley had to say. God bless you. See you next week.